handsome greeting card More like a gas tank running dry I know that times get rough Forget about it, I've said enough As sons and daughters we will rise See the look of love in our Father's eyes You're a king that lifts us up I thank you, God, that you reign over this church, that your kingdom comes and your will is done right here. I thank you, God, that as we stand before you today as leaders in this church, as elders, as deacons, as all the staff, that we say to you, you rule in this house, and we submit to your rule, and we thank you, God, for the house that you've built, and we just recommit ourselves to following your way, and we thank you, God, that you do have a way, and you have a way for this church. And we are committed, Lord, to finding your way. And we only want to do what you say to do, and we only want to say what you say to say. And we thank you, God, that you are that powerful and that close to us every single Sunday. So have your way this morning, God. As we open your word together, we thank you that you have sent us a teacher ahead of time. That the Spirit of God is resting in the hearts of these people and you're here to speak to us, to teach us, to enlighten us and guide us into truth. God, I pray that every word spoken here today, if there's anything that's not true, it would fall to the ground and no one would be able to even remember it. And I pray that every word that's from you, it would pierce their heart and their soul, that it would go straight where you want it to go, and it would begin to germinate and come into something, God, that we can't even imagine how big it would be. We love you, God. We thank you that you're real. We thank you that you really, really, really do work in our life every single day. And we, we know, God, someday that we'll stand before you accountable for the life you've given us. And I thank you that you are the way you are, so full of grace, so full of mercy, so full of understanding. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well... Good morning to everybody. I hope you're still writing in your little journals. I put little rings in mine. This was Paula Butler's idea, but I, she used a hole punch. I just used a drill, and I drilled little holes. <laughs> I didn't have a hole punch. And then I got these little rings, and it, it lets you open it up without all the pages falling out. If you haven't gotten your free journal, they're out front. You can get your free journal. We want everyone to have one. And uh, I'm not going to go back over all the reasons we use it, but I will talk about it a little bit today as we go on through. Um, well, this year, 2020, is a year of spiritual growth. It's a year that we focus in on what God wants for our life because, you know, we, we are committed to growing spiritually. Uh, that's what we all want. I think we all kind of, as people, we all want our lives to improve. I don't think anybody gets up and goes, man, I think this is a, I really plan on this year being the worst year of my life. I hope I'm more in debt at the end of the year. I hope I'm sicker than I am now. No, no one really does that. I think everybody kind of goes into the new year thinking, I want this year to be the best year of my life. And many times people start strong, but they lose their focus. And so we're trying to stay focused in 2020. We're trying to stay focused on not just our physical being, even though that's a huge part of our life. We're, we're focusing on our mind, our mental, our mental part of our body. It's very, very important. And we're focusing on our emotions. And we're trying to become healthy in every way that we can. But today I'm going to talk about something that might seem a little odd to you, but I'm going to talk about having healthy habits. Habits. We have to talk about habits. 
You know why? Because you all got them. And I'm not talking about just bad habits. I'm talking about good habits. You know, habits can be good or bad. Your brain doesn't even know the difference between a good and a bad habit. But habits are a huge part of your life. Now, you're probably going to think, oh, they're not a big part of my life, but they really are. There's been research on this. Habits are automatic. They're automatic. And they're powerful. This research that was done, one paper published by Duke University in 2006, found that more than 40% of what everyone does is by habit and not because you're thinking about it or making a decision to do it. Now, think about the power of that statement. And you're thinking, no, that's not true. And automatic, I, I read it and I thought, that's not true. But the, yeah, it is true. And you know why it is true? It's because God made us that way. It's his mercy. You see, your brain's just so big and your brain can just do so many things. And if you had to think about and relearn everything you did every day, your brain would blow up. It would explode. I mean, think about it. You get in the car, you go, now what do I do? I got to think about this, you know, and... Yeah, stick a key in here and do this. Or some of you, you have new cars, you push buttons and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, oh, now what? Do I, do I put it in drive? Do I put... You know, we don't have to think about it because we're just, it's automatic. It's a habit. I don't know how many times I've left my garage and thought, did I shut the garage door? And I get two blocks away and I think, I've got to go back and see if the door's shut. And you know what? Every time it's shut. Every single time. I think I don't even remember shutting it. How come? It's a habit. I mean, if you have two cars and you have one that's got a gear shift up here and one's got a shifter down here, you ever find yourself getting in the other car and going like this and there's no gear shift? It's because you're not thinking about it. It's just a habit. And God made us that way because it's his mercy. And 40% of what you do is just out of habit. It's automatic. It's automatic and it's powerful. That's why you can be making breakfast and thinking about your day. You're not really thinking about everything. about little. It, you've done it so many times, it's just automatic. And so habits are powerful, and they account for a large percent of what we do during the day. So we have to talk about habits. How does a habit work? Well, a habit begins with a cue. What's a cue? It's a cue. is a signal promoting or prompting an action. It's a signal. It's automatic. It's like when a preacher's standing up here, and you've been in many church services, and the preacher says, and the people said... It's automatic. It's a cue. You've learned it. You've burned something in your brain. You know that when the preacher says that, you're supposed to respond with amen. You don't even think about it. Or when the preacher says God is good, it's just automatic. It's a cue. You've been in church a long time. It's just proof. You do a lot of things out of habit. It's just the way that we're created. Now, the downside to that is habits can be very good and habits can become very, very bad. Our, when we do habits, our brain actually, it stops fully participating in decision-making. Now, think about that. Your, your body, I mean, your, your mind begins to go down a road, and your, your mind stops participating in the decision-making. That means because of a habit, you can end up doing something that you necessarily didn't want to do just because it's a habit. I describe it as something like if you've ever driven on a farm and they have the old dirt roads and you're trying to drive out of the ruts. You don't want to get in the ruts. And so you're driving along and pretty soon you fall into the ruts. What happens? Well, you're not steering anymore. The ruts are steering. And if the ruts are real deep, you can't even get out of them. 
So you don't want to get in the ruts, but that's how our brains are. We end up going down a road and we just automatically fall into the ruts and now it's steering and our decision making's not steering. You see, this can be very bad if you have bad habits. This can mean that you could end up doing something you wouldn't normally do just because you receive a cue that you've always responded to and you end up going down a road that you wouldn't necessarily want to go down, but you just find yourself there anyway. It's the way God's made us. Habits are very powerful. They can be very good. You can create new habits. That's the good news. You know, I, if you know me very well, you know I like things clean. I really do. I like stuff to be clean. And I like my car to be clean on the inside. And when I was younger, it wasn't always clean, and I could never figure it out. I'd go to the car wash, I'd clean it up really good, and it would smell so good, and I'd get in, and I'd go, man, this is great. But then by the end of the week, you know, it was full of dirty coffee cups and sometimes French fries and straw wrappers and just, I mean, there's just junk in there. And I was like, ah, oh, i got to go back to the car wash. So I went back to the car wash and did it. it, it, it I, had, I, I had a desire to have a clean car, but I just didn't know how to do it. Well, when I became a sales manager, I rode with other salesmen, and I rode with this one particular salesman. Every time I got in his car, his car was spotless. I was like, this guy's car is clean every time I get in it. It smells great, looks great. I said, he must be in the car wash every day, you know? And so I was riding with him that day, and I started noticing something about this guy. We'd drive up to a stop. He'd turn off the car. He'd start looking around. He'd pick up trash. Didn't matter how little it was, toothpick, cup, whatever it was, he would go and he'd throw it away on the way in the door. I thought, that's how he's keeping his car so clean. <laughs> so he started doing that. I mean, I noticed it. We stopped 10, 15 times that day. Every time he turned his car off, he's looking around for trash. And then sometimes he found some, sometimes he didn't. But he, at the end of the day, we pulled up, and guess what? His car was as clean as the morning we got in it. I thought, that's a great idea. So I started cueing myself. I started saying, every time I turn my car off, I'm going to look around for trash. And that was, I don't know how many years ago, 30 years ago. And I started doing that. And you know what? My car has stayed clean most days for 30 solid years because now when I turn off my car, I get in the garage, I turn off my car, I'm looking around for trash. It's a habit. It's something that I wanted to happen, and so I wanted the reward of a clean car. And so I cued myself, and the routine took care of itself. Whenever you begin to build cues in your mind and you want a certain reward, the routine will take care of itself, and that's how you develop a good habit. This habit's so ingrained in me that I even do it in other people's cars. They turn off their key, and I'm looking around like, okay, quit. Not my job to clean your car. But developing a habit, <laughs> I'm not taking any, I'm not looking to do it. Um, but developing a habit is as easy as creating a reward and then finding a cue to trigger that habit. Let's talk about this. Pepsodent. It's not in your Bible. It's just a picture. Pepsodent. And the reason I threw it up here is I read this story and I thought, oh, Becky would like this. She's a dental hygienist and I thought it was really kind of funny. But, you know, in 1900, 1900, Pepsodent was invented. This man came up with it, this minty, frothy tube stuff, and he said, this is great stuff. It cleans your teeth so really, it cleans them so good. And so he came up with this and he thought, people need to buy this. But there was a problem. Only 7% of people in 1900 brushed their teeth. Nobody brushed their teeth. They weren't in the habit of it. There was no habit created. Nobody brushed their teeth. 
And so this guy invented Pepsodent, which was a great idea, and he didn't know what to do. And how do I get people to buy my Pepsodent when there's nobody that brushes their teeth? And so he went to this guy. His name was Claude C. Hopkins. And he was part of a booming industry, a brand-new industry in 1900 called advertising. <laughs> this guy was an advertising genius. Claude Hopkins was an advertising genius. He said that he sold palm olive dish soap, was one of the ones he advertised for, and he convinced housewives to buy this dish soap because it was the same one Cleopatra used. <laughs> now, back then, there was no truth in advertising. <laughs> there was just, and, and people bought it, and palm olive became the biggest selling dish soap everywhere because women thought, well, she's beautiful, and I want to be beautiful, so I'm going to, that's what they did. He even sold Slits beer. Now, that's, that's an advertiser there. He sold Slits beer and made it one of the biggest name brands because he told people the Slits beer bottles were cleaned with live steam. Never mind that every other beer bottle was cleaned with steam, but they, that didn't matter. He just convinced the people that the reward was you're getting a really clean beer bottle and you need to drink Slits, and so it did, and it skyrocketed. So this guy that invented Pepsodent, he approached Claude Hop this guy, and he says, how am I going to sell this toothpaste? Well, this guy, uh, Claude Hopkins, he said, well, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. So he started studying dental books. And he read through there and read through there, and he found out that every person on earth has a film on their teeth. Has a film on their teeth. And he thought, I mean, the film really doesn't cause your teeth to be yellow. It really doesn't cause tooth decay. But he came up with this advertising slogan, and he said, just run your tongue across your teeth, and if you feel a film, that's why your teeth are look off color or they're yellow, and that's why you're going to get tooth decay. It's because you have this film on your teeth. So you need, and then he would show a picture of someone with a bright white smile, and he would say, if you want a bright white smile, you have to use Pepsodent to get the film off your teeth so you don't have tooth decay and discoloring teeth. None of it was true. None of it was really true at all. But it sold Pepsodent like crazy. And in 30 years, Pepsodent not only sold all over the United States and became a habit of dental hygiene that was a good thing, but it went around the world. Even China and Germany and South America, they were buying Pepsodent because this man was an advertising genius. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, it's all about a cue, and it's all about a reward. And I don't know if you know this, but this man was such a genius that nearly all modern-day advertising is built upon his principles of playing on human nature, which they know we are creatures of habit 40% of the time. And all you have to do is get people to believe there's a reward, give them a cue, and they're going to buy your product because they want the reward. And you've cued them to get it. You see, there's never been a generation on the face of this earth that's had more advertising bombardment than we have. Never. We've been inundated with advertising all of our lives. We've been convinced that things are good for us that aren't good for us. We've been convinced that even as children of God, we'll do things that are contrary to the Word of God because some advertisers told us that it's good for us or that it's beneficial for us or that we're not going to have fun unless we do it, and we've bought into it, and the routine is developed and the bad habits come. We are creatures of habit. And advertisers don't care if you have a good habit or a bad habit. They just want to sell their product. Think about alcohol. Tons of people drink alcohol. Tons of people drink wine. It's really popular right now. Sophisticated. Where did you get the idea it was sophisticated? Because advertisers told you it was sophisticated. 
You know, people say, well, it's healthy. You drink a glass or two of wine a night and it helps your heart. It gives you antioxidants. Where'd you get that information? From advertisers because they want to sell alcohol. Is it true? No, it's not necessarily true at all. In fact, any amount of alcohol at all is not good for your body. They've proven it. There's a hundred to one studies that show alcohol is bad for you, but we believe the one study that says it's good because we want to drink. 1983, they, convinced, I mean, they came out with convincing evidence that alcohol is a carcinogen, but that never gets advertised. It's because there's a reward, and the reward is I get home from a hard day at work, and i got to have a drink. Who told you that? I get home from work. I want to relax. i got to have a drink of wine. It helps me relax, helps me sleep. Neither one are true. It may depress you, but it's definitely interrupting your sleep. Here's all I'm saying. Even as children of God, we're so creatures of habit. We've bought into so many lies and so many things that we've actually become uh, creatures of what the society around us has told us to do, and we're really not following God's word at all. We need to examine these things. The bad news is we can be manipulated. The good news is we don't have to keep being manipulated. We can change our minds. We can change our thinking. We just have to know how habits work, and we have to recognize what's going on in our mind and in our brain and in our life. I mean, this scripture that's up here, Paul wrote it years and years ago out of Romans 7. You've read it tons of times, but I want you to read it in, with this in mind, what we just talked about, about habits. Because Paul is describing human nature. Because God knew, Paul didn't know the scientific proof, but God did. And he said, you know, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Why? Why? Because even though I'm trying to drive down the road and not get in the ruts, I find myself falling in the ruts time after time after time. And then I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I don't want to do. I'm doing what I always do. Somebody says something to me, I always go into self-pity. Somebody looks at me a certain way, I always go into anger. Somebody looks at, you know, looks at me wrong in the restaurant or answers me rude, I'm going to always say this, this, and this. This is a habit and a pattern that's been developed over time. And you can tell yourself all day long, I, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And then you might do it for three Sundays, and then you're going to fall off because guess what? Your habits take over and you fall back into the pattern of the reward that you think is greater. I mean, it seems simple to do what's right. It seems simple to want to eat right, not want to eat junk food, you know, not want to do a lot of things. You tell yourself, I'm not going to do that anymore. But we have these habits, and whenever the trigger comes, whatever the trigger is, whether it's golden arches or whatever it is, you... It, you're just like going back into the ruts in the road, and it's just pulling you into the drive-thru. I'm not here to bag on fast food. What I'm trying to explain is how we are and how we're all in this common dilemma of, of living by our habits. And it can be a very good thing, and it can be a very bad thing. Back in Hebrews 12, I mean Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews was writing about what God says was coming, happening in the first century church, and he was saying that it, it was becoming a habit, and it was a bad habit. And he said, this isn't the time to pull away and neglect meeting together. 
as some have formed a habit of doing, because we need each other. You see, God in his word is saying it just can creep up on us so subtly. We don't really mean to just fall out of church. We don't really mean to fall away from reading the word every day. We don't mean to fall away from praying. We don't mean to get out of our purpose in life. But it just creeps in slowly but surely. And he said, if you don't watch out, you're going to form a habit that's a bad habit, and you're going to end up being somewhere you don't want to even want to go. And it says that, you know, it, it's not time to pull away. They were having a hard time in the first century church. I just want to say that this is truer today than it was then. It's not time to be a Lone Ranger. It's not time to pull away from meeting together. And he says, it, it's important that you stay together and don't form a habit of missing church. And then he gives you the reward at the end. You see, a lot of people, they think church has to be good enough for them to attend. They have to think that the message has to be strong enough, the worship has to be spectacular enough, and then, but God says neither one of those things are the reward, because honestly, in this generation, you can get that online. You don't have to get it here. But there's one thing you can't get online, and that is the reward that all of us should know God wants us to have. The reward of church is you and me and each other and needing one another. He said, it's not a good time to pull away. It's not a good time to develop a habit of just not going to church. He said, it's a good time for you to push in because you need one another. You need me, I need you, and we're better together. Church is important. And he was saying that back in the first century because people already were starting to develop a habit of just not going. You know, bad habits. Samuel Johnson said this. He said, the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. I, I, I like this because this is so true. It's like missing church or anything else that just starts off so innocent or, you know, pushing your quiet time. And it all comes down to the reward of the habit you're creating. It all comes down to reward. Some people miss church because the reward of sleeping in on Sunday is greater than the reward of being here with you on Sunday morning. It's just a fact. The reward of, of eating breakfast together on Sunday morning has become a ritual that we enjoy, and it's a greater reward than spending time with people that you love at church. And I'll just tell you this. If you have a reward on Sunday morning that is greater than the reward you feel from coming here, you won't be here for long term. That's the way we are. We're creatures of habit, and we're always going to be become a habit of what we want, the greater reward. It's like me cleaning my car. I had to decide the reward of doing it as I go was greater than the reward of just not doing it at all because I was too lazy to do it. And, the, and I thought in my mind, I mean, I didn't break it down, but I thought, I want a clean car. It means a lot to me. I developed a greater reward, and it made me do what I would. You see, we're creatures of habit, and we need, we need to understand that the way that we eat, the way we act, the way we respond, what time we go to bed, when we get up, what we value, our church attendance, our tithing, our everything is a result of a habit you create based upon reward. Max Lucado, I like his, he, he said this. He said, I run because I don't like cardiologists. 
And I like that. Because here's what he's saying in that one little sentence. He's saying, you know, I like to sit on the couch and do nothing or watch TV. But, you know, I, I hate going to the cardiologist. And if you've ever been to one, you'll know why. It just takes forever. But the deal is, he said, you know, I run because the reward of not going to the cardiologist is greater than the reward of just sitting on the couch doing nothing. And I love that. He said, I run because I don't like cardiologists. And I think that's a great way to think about it. We can develop new things in our mind, new, new patterns, by just identifying what we really want in life and developing a habit around that, that goal. That's why so many people start off and then they fall short. It's because they've not developed habits in their life that will sustain them long term. You know, I've got some good habits in my life, and I'm not saying this to puff myself up. I just was putting this together, and I thought, what are some habits I'm really glad that I have in my life? And I just wrote them down. And then I thought, why do I have these habits? I've been a Christian 44 years, and I've always been in church. Even in the hardest times of my life, I was in church, always. I thought, why do I go to church so regularly? Why do I have that habit? And the truth is, I enjoy church. <laughs> I like the way it makes me feel. I mean, I've missed church a handful of times in my 44 years, not that many, but whenever I do miss, it does not bring me a good feeling. I don't have a reward. It doesn't make me feel good. I enjoy being here. I love the people. I love the sermons, not, the, not even the ones I don't preach. You know, I love all the sermons. <laughs> and, and I love the music, but that's not what draws me here. I love the people. I love the atmosphere. So many times I get up on Sunday morning and as I'm praying about the Sunday morning service, the vision I see in my mind is not being up here. It's not even worshiping down there, which I love both of those things. It's coming in and seeing everyone in the church and just the feeling I have of love and, and people love me and I love them. That's something I can't get just anywhere. I love that here. That's the greatest reward for me. So that's why that's been a habit in my life for 44 years, whether I was a preacher or not. Tithing, same way, you know. I don't tithe because I'm afraid God's going to break my hot water heater. You know, I don't do that. I looked at the reward. I looked at my thought. I don't, I don't, I'm not afraid that God's going to hurt me if I don't tithe. Why do I tithe? Because it gives me a good feeling. I feel like I've done the right thing. In my heart of hearts, I think this is the right thing to do. I'm tithing because it's right for me. I, it makes me feel good. I tithe because it gives me security in my heart. And I'm very insecure about money sometimes. If God has to really reel me in whenever I get worried or something, because he's just like, Daryl, goodness, I'm faithful. I'm your God. And it gives me a tremendously secure feeling when I know that I've trusted God and invited him into my finances. It gives me a secure feeling to know I'm not in life alone. I'm in life with God. He's got me. That's a, that's, a, that's a reward that's greater than any other. And I guarantee you that's a reward that's greater than 10% of your income. Some habits I've developed. Reading the Bible, you know. I've always read the Bible. Even before I was a teacher, I read the Bible. I love the Bible. I love nuggets of truth. I love inspiration. I love the way it makes me feel, the way it makes me think. I love this. It's a habit that I've developed. And then small group get-togethers. This is something I really had to develop a habit to do because I'm, I'm introverted and I'm not real social and I would just soon be alone and 
You know, it took me a while to, to, to realize that I have to force myself to develop a new habit. And what's happened in the last 30 years is that I developed a habit of loving to be with small groups of people because I like one-on-one -on -one time. I like to have enough time to know what's going on in your life. I like to hear about it. These are habits that I've developed. I love my family time. I love that. They're good habits. And God's let me have them. But some of us have bad habits. And where do bad habits come from? From the same place. Some bad habits come because your past has been so horrific. You've been traumatized, or you've been hurt, or you've been left, or you've been abused. And you develop a habit of response or defense, or walling yourself off, or isolating yourself, or being bitter, or unforgiving, or angry, or whatever it is. All these mental habits that we go into when someone acts a certain way around us. You say, well, how do I know how to stop it? Just this, it's just as simple. Someone says something and you say, that makes me so mad when you say that. You've just identified your cue. Your cue that sends you into an angry tirade is something you just identified by saying, that makes me so mad. Why does that make you so mad? Because my ex-wife used to say the same thing. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I'll just tell you this. You need to do some examination and realize that fits of anger are not befitting for a Christian and you need to learn that your habits need to be under control. And God's given us the ability to rewire our brain. We're not stuck with our past. I love this statement. We're a product of our past, but we're certainly not a prisoner of our past. You can rewire your brain. You can rewrite your habits. You can, you can have your mind redirected by finding new reward and new cues to be able to, to create habits that are positive. Just like Jesus said, they hit you on one cheek, turn the other. It's developing a new habit, a new habit of being pacifist instead of being violent. That's what Jesus was telling us to do. Shame, guilt, self-pity, bitterness, they're negative habits that eat your soul. And they're all habits. Some of you live with guilt every day. You've done something you're not proud of, and that guilt eats on you all the time. And I'll tell you, it's just a bad mental habit, and there's no reward. Just step back and get along with God and say, what am I getting from doing this? What am I gaining? What's the reward here? And you're going to find out nothing. <laughs> it's like one time I, I smoked when I was young, 13 to 18, and I, I smoked a lot. Why, I, you know, the reward for smoking, why did I start? Everybody else smoked it, like everybody smoked. I was 13 to 18 years old. I smoked a lot, sometimes two packs a day. And, and in a, you know, and so I thought, I looked back on that, and I said, what was the reward on that? And I thought, well, I guess it made me look grown up. But I did it. And then one day when I was 18 and I woke up and I was coughing and hacking, 18 years old, and I thought, why am I doing this? And so I started looking at all the reasons I shouldn't, my health, the money. I mean, cigarettes at that time had gone to 55 cents a pack. Can you imagine? <laughs> I started smoking. They were 30 cents. I was, it was over 50 cents. I just wasn't going to pay, so, pay 55 cents for something that was killing me anyway. That's stupid. So I thought, this is no reward. I don't have any money anyway. And so I had to sit there and go, what's the reward? And there wasn't one. I don't like smelling like an ashtray. It didn't, it, there was no reward. 
So I created a greater reward in my mind, and that was my health and my money. And just, I didn't want to stink. And that was a great enough reward. I walked away from it, and it was just almost automatic. I mean, I still had cravings, but that reward in my mind was so great that when that old cue would come up, cigarette craving, I'd think, no, I have a greater reward. And I did, and I walked out of it. Anyone can walk out of it. You have to have a greater reward in another cue. That's how we work. You can rewire your brain. I'm going to read an old, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you that you'll know and know well, but I just want to, I'm getting close to the end, but I want us to get to a place where we know how we can rewire our brain. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the whole armor of God. You've heard this. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Here's what that's saying. It's saying that there's a whole invisible realm of dark creatures that want to destroy your life. And they will always want to come against you and tempt you to do something that you really know is not good for you. And he's saying, how do you stand against that? Well, you put on the whole armor of God. You go, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, he's going to tell us. He says, I'm going to take up the whole armor of God that you can stand in the evil day. And having done all, you can stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now, he's talking about truth. And he's talking about your waist. He's talking about your guts. That your belt of truth is your guts. And so many people, their emotions run wild because they don't deal with facts. They deal with what they think might happen. Or they think with something, you know, some hearsay that so-and-so told so-and-so and that person said this. And you're thinking about all this stuff and it's bringing up these emotions. And he says, just put the belt of truth around your waist and guard your emotions and your guts. Deal with facts and deal with truth. Do you know this is true? No. Then quit thinking about it. Because the devil's a liar and he's going to tell you lies all the time. And then he's going to say, I want you to put on your breastplate of righteousness. He's saying that there's a plate, our heart needs to be guarded. Our heart, because it's vulnerable. It's where our emotions lie. It's where our will is. It's where our soul is. It's where our heart is. He said, put on the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. Not your righteousness. His righteousness. He gives you righteousness. And he guards your heart. And you need to always remember that he's what's made you righteous, not your actions. Because what that does is it makes you know that you can rest in what Jesus has done, not what you've done. Because you'll have days you don't do good. And he said that's how you protect because the enemy's always coming at you with accusation. You're a failure, you're a loser, you're a this, you're a that. And he's saying just put the breastplate on and guard your heart. And know it's my righteousness that's not letting him in. Take up the shield of faith, which is believing all of this stuff. Have your feet girded with, with, uh, with covering so that you can go. It's your will. It's where you go in the world. It's your, it's your body, your soul, your emotions. He's saying this is how you guard it. You're aware of it. And then the, the, the one I want to get to. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You have to learn to pray in the Spirit, being watchful to this end that all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So I want to go back to that one, the helmet of salvation. When I have it up here on the board, it says the helmet of deliverance. This is how the 
the Jewish Bible translates this verse, the helmet of deliverance. How come it's not the helmet of salvation? Because we know that salvation in this, in this verse is from the root word sozo that means salvation. It also means healing and deliverance. The Jewish Bible chose to use deliverance. They thought it made more sense in this setting that the part of the armor of God was God putting deliverance on our head over our brain where we need the most deliverance because that's where we get attacked. That's where the thoughts come. That's where we, all this stuff germinates. All our habits, our bad habits, we have to have deliverance of our past. And that's why he, he doesn't just save you and take you to heaven. He saves you to heal you. He saves you to deliver you. He wants you to put on the helmet of salvation and let him rewire your brain. Let him undo those past hurts. Let him undo those past rejections, those past discouragements. Let him make new habits of thought in your mind so that you don't always respond the same way. So you can stop going around the same mountain over and over and over. You put on the whole armor of God and you be intentional about letting God do his work. You be intentional about protecting your head and bringing God's deliverance into your mind. There's a great saying. You just don't have to believe every stupid thought that comes in your mind. I can't remember who wrote it, but somebody did. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I love this, but it, it took on special meaning for me this week because... This week as I was preparing this message about habits, God showed me that I had a bad habit. And I was, went to my prayer journal and I opened it up and I have a lot of things written in here in my prayer journal. And there's just page after page after page of different entries about stuff. And when I go to pray, I read these to the Lord and I petition him for, you know, help so-and-so. They, they need a breakthrough in their marriage. Help this person. He needs healing, God. Bring healing to his life. This person's in pain, God. Bring relief. I, I bring those things to God all the time. And I lift him up to him, and God said, stop doing that. And he brought this verse to my mind. He said, you're praying out of your anxiousness. You're praying out of your worry, your concern, your fear. I don't want you to do that. I want you to pray with thanksgiving in your heart. I want you to rewire your brain to thanksgiving and gratitude. I want your petitions to come up before me in a praise form, in a gratitude form, in a thanksgiving form. And so I started going through here, and I said, thank you, God that that person's going to get off drugs. Thank you, God, that that person's going to be healed. Thank you, God, that they're not going to have pain anymore. Thank you, God, that that marriage is going to be healed. Thank you, God. And I went through it, and I thanked him. And whenever I came through it, I thought, it was like, what do you feel like? I thought, I feel peace. That's exactly what he said. He said, when you rewire your brain and you get out of the habits of worry and fear, and you incorporate the habit of thanksgiving and, thank and praise, Suddenly, something miraculous happens. Peace floods your soul. Peace comes in and it guards your heart and your mind. The two areas that we've been talking about, our mental, our mind, our brains, and our heart, our soul, our will, our emotions. God said, if you want those protected, get into an attitude of praise about your prayers. Thank God you're going to do good this year. Thank God you're going to have breakthrough. Thank God. Quit approaching it with an idea of you're going to fail. You're not. You can start thanking God for the miracle and the breakthrough right now. 
And his peace is going to come in and guard your heart. That's what he wants to do, bring healing and deliverance to your mind, to your brain, to the core problem. No one wants to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. It's a habit that's formed over time. It starts with innocence and ends up being chains and ends up destroying you. I think I would want to find a better reward of deliverance. God says this in his word. You make a decision right up front in your life. I will praise God no matter what happens. That's a big statement. I will praise God no matter what happens. You do that on the front end and you develop a habit of praise. And it changes your mindset. It changes the way you feel. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you interact with people. And it certainly changes the way you face adversity. I will praise God. I will not be depressed. I will not be angry. I will not fall into those ruts anymore. I will not fall into anger. I will develop an attitude of praise and thanksgiving because my anger has no reward. None. But there's a great reward in praising the Lord. This is my last quote. And I write quotes. You see me put a lot of quotes up. When I read books or different things I'm reading and looking at and even listening to, I, man, some quotes are so good, and I just write them in my journal. These are, I wrote, these are my quotes for 2020 that I've already started writing. And I like to go back and read them because they're so inspiring. They're so powerful. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. Write those quotes down and go back and let them encourage you through the year. And this is a good one, Catherine Gray. She said, you know, unless, a day when a parent, is it, unless it's a day when a parent dies or your city's bombed or some other nuclear event hits your life, most days you have a choice to be happy or to be unhappy. It's just that simple. You know, there are days that things are going to happen that you're going to be sad. I mean, it just happens. But the truth is, most days, that's not happening. There's no reason to worry about it if it hadn't happened. Just choose to be happy and let God rewire your brain. So that's the goal of today, God healing our mind, healing our brain. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to pray for the Spirit of God to bring revelation to you about bad habits. And then I'm going to ask you. You see, it's, it's up to us to put on the helmet of salvation. <laughs> God doesn't put it on us. We put it on ourselves, and, um, and that's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. And if you could just envision Jesus' hands being that helmet of deliverance and of healing and of salvation. And you're putting on that helmet. You're saying, Jesus, let me have your hands I just want to put them on my head because I need healing. You know, we lay hands on each other whenever we pray for healing, and we do that because the Word commands it. And I can just envision Jesus' hands being on my head, saying, Jesus, I've got these bad habits. I've got this wrong thinking. I want you to just reveal it to me and reveal to me how I can get good habits to replace these bad habits. We're asking for a divine deliverance. We're asking that the the helmet of deliverance would just, the helmet of healing would just be on our mind. 
God, take away the negativity. Take away the criticism. Take away the automatic responses. Let us be people of love and grace and peace, kindness. So, Father, I pray for your church today. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our minds and to our hearts. Show us, Lord, any of these habits that we've developed, we've allowed to form in our life, God, that need to be changed. Habits of pessimism and worry and fear. And put your hands on our head, God, and just just bring deliverance and healing right now. Give us new thoughts, God, on new habits that can be created, habits of praise and thanksgiving and gratefulness. I thank you, God, that we're not stuck with the brain that we have right now, that it can get better. We thank you, God, that even if we've done damage to our brain with drugs or alcohol or whatever, God, that you can remake our brain right now because you have the hands of healing and that helmet of healing can be put on the head and it can bring restoration and we speak it over this congregation right now in the name of Jesus that brains would begin to regenerate right now memory loss would be restored there'd no longer be fear of dementia in this house that you would give us a knowing God We thank you for your great power. We thank you for your great love. And we thank you, God, that you want to heal us because that's what you do. And I thank you, God, that people all over this room, their minds are being rewired, their minds are being restored and rebuilt. We thank you for that, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And ministry team, if you'll come up, if you need prayer today, please get it before you leave. Um, If not, you have a blessed week and be healed.